grace. Your grace, which gives us what we do not deserve. Your grace that finds us where we are. Thank you that you pursue us. For we know that in our sinfulness, we don't seek you. Thank you for coming to us, for calling us, for drawing us to yourself, allowing us to be a part of your family. And this morning, our prayer is twofold. Number one, that everything that happens here will glorify you. And number two, that we would hear from you today. We would hear your voice. That you would say what it is that you want to say. And that we would understand who you are by what you say to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone. You can have a seat. In the interest of full disclosure this morning, I want you to know that I am a big fan of doing things my way. I really enjoy doing things my way. I have an idea of how to do the things that need to be done in my life, and I like to do them that way, the way that makes sense to me. And um, I, haven't, uh, I haven't screwed up my life too bad. I'm honest about the fact that I don't know how to do everything well, but, uh, you know, I'm doing okay. And I know you're probably sitting there thinking, number one, I have no idea what this has to do with anything that we might talk about here. And number two, you're probably thinking, wow, Mike, that's, uh, that's really arrogant. And you're right, it is, it, it is a little arrogant. But think about it with me for a second. Don't we all do that? I mean, don't you like to do things the way that makes sense to you? Just pause for a moment and think, for those of you that have jobs, that have bosses, when you have a conflict with your boss, why is it? I mean, not the specifics, but in broad strokes, why do you have conflicts with your boss? I'm guessing it's because you have an idea of how you think things should be done and he has an idea or she has an idea of how they think it should be done, right? If you're married here this morning, I'm really going to start meddling here, and you have disagreements with your spouse, why does that happen? I'm guessing it's because you have an idea of how you think something should be done and your spouse has an idea of how they think it should be done right? Phil and Jess, afterwards I'm available if you want to talk. It's our, I'm already prompting things down here. Uh, if you have children, how many people have children and you've ever had a disagreement with your children? Okay. I'm guessing it's because you know how you want something to be done and they think they know. Notice how I said they think they know how it should be done, right? Is this not common? Is this arrogance not common to humankind? We have an idea of how we think things should be done, and that's the way that we want to do them. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up this morning is because I think we can and do bring that attitude into our spiritual lives and I think that we can bring that attitude into the church. 
Now, I'm not saying that we have to disengage our brains to serve God. That's not what I'm saying, that we should just blindly walk in and not even think about what it is that we're doing. But what I am saying is that God's Word tells us what God desires. In the last few weeks, we have been talking about the book of 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy's theme, if you've been with us, you remember we say that 1 Timothy's theme is life in the church. How do we do this? What we're doing here this morning and what we do out there in our community all week, how do we do it? And life in the church is not about doing our own thing in our own way. And it's also not about doing God's work in our own way. It's about doing God's work in God's way. You see, that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to do his work in his way. Now, we can have a tendency in our lives to say, well, I know that this is what God wants uh, generally to happen, and so I'm going to figure out a way that makes sense to me to do it. That's doing God's work in our way. God is asking us to do his work in his way. And I want to tell you something about doing God's work in God's way. And some of you have already figured this out in your own life, but let me just clarify for you. Maybe some of you haven't thought about this or haven't experienced it even. But when we do God's work in God's way, that means that things are going to look a little different than they look in the rest of the world. Nod your head if you've ever experienced that. That when you choose to do things that God wants you to do, and you do them in His way, the way that He instructs us in His Word, that it looks a little different from the rest of the world. That happens, right? And that's what's going to happen in the church if we do things His way. Now, God has designed and given us a structure for leadership in the church. He has designed it, he has laid it out in his word, and he's given it to us to follow. Now that structure is based on different ideals than the world's. It's designed by God's wisdom. It's not designed according to the world's wisdom. It's not designed according to our wisdom. And so when we look at the leadership structure of the church and how we do things here as a family... We're going to do them a little bit different. Now, last week, Tim talked about elders, appointing elders in the church from the first few verses of 1 Timothy 3. And this morning, we're going to talk about deacons. And we're going to see that the qualifications for elders and deacons are almost identical. They're almost identical. And that tells us that the value of elders and deacons is the same the maturity that God calls them to is the same, but we're going to see that their role and their function is different. And if we're going to do honor God in the church, we're going to do his work his way. That includes following his design for leadership. And this is what we have to understand, folks. If we're going to be Christ followers, if we're going to say, hey, I'm going to be the person God wants me to be, I'm going to be the Christ follower he wants me to be, then we need to understand that God's design is always good. 
God's design is always good. So when we come to the point in our lives where we say, this is what makes sense to me, but this is what makes sense according to God's word, then I have to take God at his word. So let's see what God has to say to us here in this text through the Apostle Paul. Paul's going to address three things. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 3 again this morning, and we're going to read verses 8 through 13 here in just a minute. But Paul says three things. A deacon has to have a dignified life, a deacon has to have sound doctrine, and a deacon has to have a stable family. So let's look at it first. A dignified life in verse 8, 1 Timothy 3, 8 says this. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Now, Tim did a really good job last week at looking at all these descriptors and telling us what they mean as far as the, the character, the moral character of elders, and it's the same standard that deacons are called to here. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that this morning, but I want to draw your attention to the word that Paul uses here. He says deacons. The word deacons is a Greek word, diakonos, that just simply means servant. It means servant. It's a very common word. It's used many, many times in the New Testament. And the word is really a picture here. The, the two Greek words that are brought together to make this one word gives us a picture. And the implication is dust kicking up behind somebody because they're moving so fast to get something done. Do you ever do that? Guys, you guys, when your parents ask you to do something, tell you, I bet the dust is just flying up behind your feet, right? Because you're going to get it done. When your boss tells you to do something that you really don't want to do because you're the low man on the totem pole and you have to, whatever, scrub the toilets or empty the garbages or clean out the grease trap or whatever it is at your job. That's the word picture. The dust is flying because you're moving so fast to get it done. This is not a glamorous word, okay? There's no glamour here. It's just willingness. It's willingness to do whatever needs to be done. It's humility. And again, this word is used many times in the New Testament in a general sense. But Paul uses it here, and he is very specific. And he is, he is introducing an office, a specific role in the church, of a servant, of a deacon. Now, this role is first addressed in Acts chapter 6, and I want to read you a couple of verses from Acts chapter 6 here in a moment, but I want to set the stage a little bit for you. So if we go all the way back to Acts, this is going to all tie in. It's very important, so follow me here for a second. We go back to Acts, and Acts comes in your New Testament, in your Bible, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which talk about Jesus and everything that he did here on this earth, including his death and his burial and his resurrection, right? Nod your head if you know that's what happens in the Gospels, okay? Six people. We're going to have to go over that again, Tim, and make sure everybody knows. Trust me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus, life, death, burial, resurrection. Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends back into heaven. And he says, after I go, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to help you to do what I'm calling you to do, which is go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay? Acts chapter 2, that happens. It happens on the day of Pentecost, which is a big feast for the Jews. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter gets up, preaches a message. 
All the other apostles and disciples are sharing the gospel with people. 3,000 people get saved in one day. What would we do if 3,000 people got saved here in the Oxford Hills in one day? I don't know, but we'd figure something out. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? 3,000 people get saved in one day. If you read all the way through Acts chapter 2, which is a long chapter, it has 48 verses, you get to the end, there's a whole description, the birth of the church. They're meeting together, they're eating together, they're listening to the apostles teach, they're praying together, they're worshiping, they're helping each other. And it says every day more people are getting saved. Every day in the church. So you fast forward a little bit. The Holy Spirit keeps working. Peter gets up, preaches another message. 2,000 more people get saved. So the church is growing like crazy. Peter and the other apostles, the ones who had been with Jesus, who saw him resurrected, saw him ascend up into heaven, they're ministering to this growing church. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of needs. And we come to Acts chapter 6. Now keep in mind what I just shared with you so you know what's going on. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now in these days, what days? The days when the church is growing like crazy. There's all these people. When the disciples were increasing in number, the disciples were the Christ followers, right? People who were getting saved. They were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now, got to back up. Another little parenthesis here. So the Hellenists was another word for the people who were of Greek ethnicity. And the Hebrews, of course, were those of Jewish ethnicity. And you have to understand this about the early church. When things were just getting rolling here, there was some racial tension. Because before this... The Jews thought, this is just for us. Jesus is for us. The Bible is for us. The gospel is for us. But when Jesus gave the instructions to the disciples, what did he say? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person and make disciples among all nations. But there was some tension here. <laughs> It was tension between the Greek, the ethnically Greek people and the ethnically Hebrew people because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the church came together, everybody was sharing, everybody was helping each other because they didn't have a lot of money. And the Greek, ethnically Greek Christians were saying, hey, I don't think the ethnically Greek widows who are part of the church are getting a fair shake here. I think the ethnically Jewish widows are getting more attention and these others are suffering. Okay, does that make sense? That's what's happening. They say there's an there's a inequality here and it's not good. Verse 12, and, or verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples, the twelve being the Disciples who are with Jesus, who are now called apostles, they'd seen Christ risen from the grave, alive again, and ascended into heaven. They summoned the full number of the disciples, the whole church, and this is what they said. It's not right, it's not appropriate, it's not effective 
that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, the word serve is the same word we just saw in 1 Timothy 3 that we translate deacon, okay, to serve. Therefore, verse 3, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So I want you to see here this difference in role. At this point, Peter is talking about the apostles. Later, Paul would say, you need to appoint elders, elders, shepherds, leaders, and these servants would become deacons as the structure of the church grew and was solidified. Okay, You have to remember that when this is happening in Acts 6, the, the church is a baby. It's an infant. Okay, It's just rolling here, just getting started. A few weeks, a few months. And Paul says, you need to appoint elders to lead, as Tim talked about yesterday. At the beginning, they were the apostles, but obviously there was a couple of limitations here with the apostles. Number one, there was only 12 of them. They could only go so far as the gospel spread throughout the world. Number two, they would... Uh, die, right, as they get older, and there'll be no more apostles. So Paul says you need to appoint elders. And I want you to see here that Peter says the apostles who would become the elders will concentrate on prayer and ministering the word, the spiritual direction of the church, and we're going to appoint these men over here, and they'll take care of the physical needs of the church. You see that? Two sides, those are spiritual needs and the physical needs. Tell me, do you have spiritual needs and physical needs? Of course, we all do. And the church does. So that's what Peter said. This is what Paul is suggesting, that the elders concentrate on the spiritual and the deacons on the physical. That's why last week, if you were here, Tim said the one real difference between the qualifications for the elders and the qualifications for the deacons is that the elders be able to teach. You remember Tim mentioned that. They need to be able to teach because they're the ones that are teaching the word in a formal sense. And the deacons were to care for the physical needs. Now, the deacons' character is critical, even though they're not teaching the word, because they're going to be involved in people's lives and in their private matters. And, and we don't want a deacon that is a, a loud mouth or a loose cannon or of immoral character, because he's going to know details about people's lives and need to be kept confidential and quiet and needs to be careful with those details. And so Paul says a deacon has to have a dignified life. Let's look at verse 9. Back in 1 Timothy 3. I'm sorry, it feels like I'm going really fast here, but there's a lot of stuff, and this watch here on my stand keeps moving. So, a dignified life. He also says they have to have sound doctrine. Look at verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So, not only a dignified life, but sound doctrine. They need to have a firm understanding of the truth of, the, of salvation, of the gospel that's fully revealed in Jesus Christ. Mystery doesn't mean, you know, like an Agatha Christie novel, like I hope I can figure it out before the end. Mystery in the Bible is just something that wasn't fully revealed, and now it is. 
The Jews didn't know exactly how salvation and redemption was going to work in a personal level. And then Jesus came and he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? We've read those verses before. And the mystery was revealed. It was opened up to them and now they know. And deacons, even though they're not necessarily the guys that are doing the formal teaching like I'm doing here this morning, they still need to have a firm grasp on the gospel and on the truth because they're going to impact people's lives. They're involved in people's lives. And sometimes involved in people's lives when they're at their lowest and at their weakest because they're struggling. Maybe they've lost their jobs or they're hurting financially or they have an illness in the family and they need some help. They're caring for people when they're vulnerable, so they need to be solid on the truth. Paul says they need to be tested or proven. Just like last week when Tim was talking about elders, uh, there Paul said, not a novice. Not somebody that's new to the faith, but somebody that has shown by the pattern of their life that they're a caring person, a compassionate person, a trustworthy person. And then I want you to notice that Paul says, not only a dignified life and sound doctrine, but a deacon must have a stable family. Verses 11 and 12. Their lives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Now that phrase in this verse, managing their children, their household or their children in their households. That's the same phrase that Paul used a few verses ago to talk about elders, the exact same phrase. You remember there that Paul had said, uh, because if you can't manage your own house, how are you going to manage the house of God, right? If, if a man can't lead his own family with, with a spouse and one or two or three or five children or however many, how is he going to have the wisdom and the ability to lead a family that's two or three hundred people. Excuse me. So that's what he's talking about here, managing their households, like we saw last week, a stable family. Now notice that he says their wives, likewise, must be dignified. Now with the word wives, this is where we run into some difference of opinion here among people that read these verses and seek to put them into practice. Some say that this means that there should be female deacons. And others say that this refers to the wives of the male deacons. Let me just tell you that the word that is translated wives here in verse 11 and verse 12 is a very common word, very general, used 200 times in the New Testament. And it can mean either woman or wife depending on the context. So that doesn't really tell us too much about what Paul is talking about here. What is he trying to say? I want to share with you some thoughts here over the next couple of minutes about why I think that Paul is referring to the wives of the male deacons and not female deacons, okay? First of all, just very logically as we look at the Scripture here, that Paul could have easily said, Men and women can be deacons. He could have said that, uh, but he didn't. And the reason why I think that Paul would have said that, if that's what he meant, was because there is a pattern 
all through the scripture, and we've looked at it before, and we've looked at the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and when we've looked at other passages, a couple of weeks ago, Tim referred to the roles of men and women. There is a pattern in God's word where God has said, I want the men to lead, and I want the women to follow their lead. Okay, there's a pattern in God's word where we see that. And he could have said, men and women can be deacons, but he didn't say that. I also want you to notice that if this is what Paul was talking about, if Paul was saying there can be male deacons and there can be female deacons, then he likely would not have stuck just one verse right in the middle of this description and never referred to it again. In the middle of this whole conversation about deacons, I want you to understand that this would have been a radical shift to everything else that Paul had said. So if he was talking about a whole different thing here, I'm sure he would have been a little bit more forthcoming. Also, we need to note that the word in verse 12, where he clearly means wife, is the same word that he uses in verse 11. Okay, notice it again. Their wives, like my, likewise, must be dignified. Now, when you look at the screen and you say, well, it says wives, their wives, remember, Paul wasn't writing in English. He was writing in Greek, and I'm telling you that the word wives in verse 11 and the word wife in verse 12 are that very general word that can mean woman or wife, depending on the context, okay? But in verse 12, he clearly means wife. Let deacons be, each be, the husband of one wife, right? I know I'm risking you all glazing over here, but trust me, this is incredibly important. <laughs> As we figure out what it is that God's trying to tell us here, right? Nod your head if you understand that if he's talking about these guys as husbands, then he means wife when he uses that word right after it, right? If you're going to be a husband, you can only be a husband if you have a wife, okay? Hoping you can all follow that logic told my son this morning, go out and start your car and let it run 15 minutes to get the fluids going. So I hope you guys did the same to your own brains here. Get the fluids going here a little bit. Let them be the husband of one wife. He uses the exact same word. I want you to notice also that Paul doesn't say that a deacon should be either a husband of one wife or a wife of one husband, he just says he should be a husband of one wife. If Paul wanted to clarify that he was talking about male deacons and female deacons, makes sense that he would have said, okay, now when it comes to deacons, they either need to be husbands of one wife or they need to be wives of one husband. He's talking obviously about marital fidelity, which is obviously very important. He just said husband of one wife. Also, in the verses that I read for you in Acts chapter 6, when we have the first, that first discussion about church leadership structure in the very beginning of the church, when Peter says, there's too much for us to do, we cannot do it all, the apostles, we, we cannot do it all, he says specifically, I want you to choose seven men 
that are full of the Holy Spirit and have a good reputation. And that word is very specific to say man. It doesn't say choose seven people. He says choose seven men. Now, now, if you can remember to 15 minutes ago when I started talking to you, I know, 15 minutes, it feels like he's been up there an hour. It's only been 15, 20 minutes. If you can remember, this is why I said to you before we got started, I hope you grabbed onto it, that when we do God's work in God's way, sometimes it looks a little different from the world. Okay? Sometimes it looks a little different from the world. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when Tim touched on the roles of men and women, we saw there, and we see now, that what God designed is not popular today. It's not popular in our world to say these things, to say that God calls men to be the leaders in their homes, and he calls men to be the leaders in the church. What we need to understand is there is a pattern that God has established in his word of calling men to lead in their homes and in the church. Now, you also know that when we have talked about that, when we have addressed it in this setting, and we need to address it because it's a, it's a huge topic in our world, and we're part of this world, so we need to address it in the church, that when we've talked about it, We've clarified and said, now listen, you need to see all of what Scripture says. You don't key in on one word, one verse, like Tim read a couple of weeks ago, and said, let women be quiet. You don't just read that verse and say, God's a misogynist. The church is bigoted. You need to read all of it. You need to understand all of it. Don't just pull one thing out that rubs you the wrong way and stomp off down the street with it. You have to see all of it. This does not mean that women are not involved in the ministry of the church. This doesn't mean that women are not valuable to what God is calling us to do in the kingdom of God. It is saying that God has called elders, men, to lead the spiritual direction and development in the doctrine and the mission of the church and to do the teaching in the public services. By the way, I told Tim I'd bail him out. He didn't he forgot to mention who our elders were last week when he was teaching. He said, Man, I forgot. I was going to remind everybody who our elders are. Robert Wessels, Tim Yates, Claudio Stan, Pastor Tim, and I. Are the five elders here of our church in Moss Brook. And God has called us to lead and give spiritual direction to the church and to do the teaching and the public services. But as we lead this church, we need other people to help us. We can't do it all. And there are certainly times when we, when we lead, when we choose ladies to teach and train other people under our direction and authority to do that. We have Lots of very capable ladies who serve in this church. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but just a couple of examples for you. Andrea Hart leads our children's ministry. Andrea is a wonderful young lady. 
She has all the talent in the world. She is professionally trained to work with children, and she's doing a great job leading our kids' ministry. She does so under the authority and direction of the elders. Another example is Catherine Young. She leads our music ministry, and she does a great job. I don't know middle C from middle L. I don't know. See, I don't know any of it. But she does a good job. She's very talented, and she's done a great job organizing it. She does so under our authority and direction. And we are constantly having conversations as elders with these folks who are leading, and they come to us with questions, and we say, this is what we need to do. This is the direction that we need to head. And they do such a great job leading those and others. In the same way, God calls us to appoint deacons to oversee meeting the physical needs of the church. And as they do that, they are certainly going to select gifted women to help them in accomplishing that ministry. To help others and to meet needs. Tuesday night I was with a bunch of folks at the office. We were doing Theology 404, an excellent conversation. We were kind of doing a deep dive into the Trinity and it was very interesting because we saw that Jesus the, Jesus, the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit are equally God. They're equal in value. They're equal in essence. But they are different in role. Just as men and women are. And Jesus Christ chose to submit himself to the will of the Father to accomplish the goal of redemption. For you and I. And I'm so thankful that he did that. If you go to John 17 and you read Jesus' prayer there, you'll read Jesus came to a point where he said, Father, please, let this cup pass from me. In other words, he knew what was coming. He knew he was being called to go to the cross. He said, please. No. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. Does that mean that he was less God? No. No, he was equally God. He is equally God. He always has been and he always will be. But he willingly submitted himself to the will of the Father. The godly elder and the godly deacon lead. And when the godly woman, who is no less intelligent, no less gifted, no less valuable chooses to submit to God's design and be a part of what God is doing in the church, then the church grows and the church flourishes. This is life in the church. When God's work, His way, not our own way. God's design is always good. His design is always good. In calling elders to teach and preach and pray and lead spiritually and deacons to manage and care for the physical needs of the body. That's his design and it's good. Can I ask you to do something for me? I know I've asked a lot for you to stay dialed in for the past half hour, but I need to ask one more thing. Would you pray for us as elders? Please, I mean that in all sincerity. Pray for Robert. Pray for Tim. Pray for Clow. 
Pray for Pastor Tim. Pray for myself. Pray that as we lead, we would know God's leading, that we would go in his direction and not our own. It's a heavy responsibility. And I don't mean that because I want you to feel sorry for us. I just I want you to pray for us. In a couple of chapters, when we get to chapter 5, Paul's going to address elders again. He calls the people of the church to support their elders, to care for them. And we're asking that of you this morning, that you would pray for us, that you would support us. And also that you would ask us how you could be involved in what's happening here in our church. And pray for us as we prepare to appoint deacons. We haven't done that yet. And we need to. Because we're growing. And we're not growing quite as fast as the church in Jerusalem was 2,000 years ago, but we're growing. And do you know what we've realized? We can't, we can't do this. It takes too much time away from the spiritual leading that God has called us to do to meet all of the physical needs too. And so we need to appoint deacons to meet those physical needs. So pray for us as we do that. Pray that these leaders will take responsibility and lead well, but even they cannot do all the work themselves. We need you. We need you to serve with us. I was so grateful a couple of weeks ago, on a Saturday night when we were over into the forum and had the service for Teresa, and we were getting ready, and I was talking to folks, and I was looking around, and I saw all these people, you folks, just doing stuff, not glamorous stuff, stretching wires, working sound, setting up pianos, getting food ready, setting out chairs, serving, caring for the physical needs of our body in this community. We need you to serve with us. And when we do God's work in his way, it may look a little different from the way that the world does stuff, but when we do his work his way, guess what happens? The church grows. The kingdom expands. And you may be sitting there and thinking, I I don't know what I can do. I'm not one of these guys. That's okay. But you can do something. God is calling you to something. I guarantee you he's not calling you to just sit there. He's calling you to serve. He's calling you to be involved. And when he does that, he gives us the power to do what he's called us to do. We're going to sing that song right now. The same power that brought Jesus from the grave is the power that lives in us, the power that enables you to do what God is asking you to do. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to step out and do what God's doing. If he's tugging at your heart, step out and do it and trust him to give you the power and the strength and the ability to do it. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing the song as we close this morning. Same power. That you allowed us to be a part of what you're doing. You've called us to be obedient and called us to work together in the church and follow this design that you have laid. And thank you so much that you have not left us here twisting in the wind trying to figure out how to accomplish it, but that you've given us your spirit. You've given us your power. We just pray that as we follow your lead, as we do your work in your way, that you will grow your church as you have promised. We know that even the gates of hell will not stand in its way. Pray that you will further your kingdom, you will advance your glory in this world and in this community, and use us to do it. In Christ's name.
Thanks for coming, folks. You're dismissed.